not talking about the pearl of great price, that we are the search for the pearl of great price. Right, so um, I want to uh, I want to talk about some simple words of Jesus that you are probably very well aware of. If we can get this, uh, if we can get this going. It's when the Lord says that the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchantman who is looking for goodly pearls and he finds one and he sells everything for it. So the kingdom of heaven okay, is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid and in his joy he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like to a man that is a merchant seeking fine pearls. And having found just one pearl at great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. What does this mean? Well, you could read it on a surface level about, yep, Jesus is the pearl of great price, he's the treasure, and I want to give everything so that I can have him. Yep. You can read it that way, and you wouldn't be too far wrong, but just delving into it a little bit more. See, when you look at anything that God's made, or when you look at God's word, the closer you look, the more beauty you see. When you look at what man has made, and man's artistry, the closer you look, if the image breaks up. But the closer you look at what God has said, the more beauty you see there. So, when you read in the Bible, you've got to look at the context. What's the context of this parable? Well, the context is another so let's just quickly whiz through what that is. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Field. But while his men slept, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. When the plants sprang up and brought forth fruit, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the householder came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then has it weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them up? He said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. And there were weeds that looked like wheat, but the fact is they had no fruit on them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest I'll say to the reapers, Gather up the weeds first and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. What does all that mean? He that sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. Remember that. The field represents the world. And the good seed are the sons of the kingdom and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. The reapers are angels. As therefore the weeds are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send forth his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all things that cause stumbling and them that do iniquity, and shall cast them into the fiery furnace, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun of the kingdom of God. So, <clears throat> what he's saying here, then, is that <clears throat> Jesus has sowed good seed in the field which is the world. But, right next to the good seed, there are weeds growing up. And his servants say, let's go and pull up the weeds and uh, chuck them out. No, he said, don't do that. You might 
get mistaken. You might pull up wheat, thinking it's a weed. Now that is typical of us. Everybody I know complains there's so many fake people in this world. There's so many fakes. There's so many bad people. And you're not wrong. There are so many fake people. You're not wrong. And it is our natural desire to get away from them. Get rid of them. Ah, he's insincere. She's not sincere. He's fake. They're fake. <coughs> and you see how the Lord Jesus sees right or foresees exactly into our mentality. How we are going to feel that this one is fake, that one is fake. If only I could find a place where there's only good people. People go from one church to another to another. Oh, there are fake people there. Oh, so I went to this one. Oh, there are found some fake people there. Get it? This is life. That if we are to grow as the good seed, well, that involves next to us, in life, having a mix of bad people. People who might appear very nice, but then they turn another face. But you can't actually tell that. You can sense it, but I can't say, she's fake, he's not the real deal, or whatever. I can't say that. We all think we can, oh, but I'm experienced. I'm not a kid, oh, I've seen life. But no. Let them grow together until the harvest. And Jesus will do the harvesting. He will send out the angels and they will sort it all out when he comes. Now, that is very hard to believe. It's easy to understand uh, the story. But it's very hard to believe that. That judgment is coming and that's going to sort everything out. Because we naturally think, I am the judge. I know. I'm not stupid. I know. Right, that's just the background. The field is the world. Now, let's come to what we're looking at. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid, and in his joy he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. The field is the world. Right, this parable flows straight on. So who's the man who bought the world? Especially when you consider that the word for bought there means to redeem. Who's the man who bought the world? Who redeemed the world? Someone whispered it. Jesus. Jesus. Right. Well, I started to start reading this thing, and I said, about me. I've got to sell all I have and buy the field to find the treasure. It's actually about Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. The field is the world. In his joy he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. This is Jesus. Buying the field, the world, because he has seen us, the treasure, hidden in it. Now think about treasure... So often in the Bible, we are called God's treasure. The Old Covenant, Exodus 19, If you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you will be a peculiar treasure unto me, this is God, above all people, for all the earth is mine. Same idea. The world is the field, we are the treasure in it. And he says to his people, you will be my peculiar treasure, my special treasure. And actually the idea there in the Hebrew is 
a treasure of my very own. Just like a child would say, I want uh, a teddy bear of my very own. And we are God's very own. We are his special treasure. In Malachi, a book of memory was written before God, before him, for those who feared Yahweh and honoured his name, and they will be mine, says Yahweh of armies, my very own possession or my very own treasure, in the day when I make up my jewels. When I gather all my jewels together, make them up. Who, who, is, who are the jewels? Us. The pearls, the treasure. So, we are the treasure hidden in the field, and the field is the world. How are we hidden? Well, I worry at times that I don't preach enough. That, for example, there's people in my street where I live who visually know me, say hi, hi, I've known them, you know, sometime. But I feel that I should have taken the gospel to those people, but I haven't, and I feel so awkward about that. I feel awkward that I might be standing in line in a supermarket. Uh, I have got the hope of eternity, and they haven't. And I'm not saying anything to them. Well, I feel some sort of awkward about that. When you're mixing with people in life, and, well, I've got everlasting life. When Jesus comes, I'll be resurrected and I'll live forever and ever and ever. This life is just a millimetre for me compared to eternity. Why don't I go and tell people about it a bit more strongly? And yes, I should. We all should. But, on the other hand, there is this idea that we are the treasure hidden in this world. That we are hidden. We are secret agents. We are, in another figure, we are the salt of the earth. We are the yeast that a woman took and hid inside a batch of flour so that it, it rose up. So, yes, I'm not justifying our sort of shyness when it comes to uh, preaching. But on the other hand, as a bit of comfort, we are also hidden in this world. And yeah, that sort of makes sense. Because there you are standing, let's say, in a line in the supermarket and the other people are maybe not saved. God looks down from heaven and sees the world. Ah oh, yeah, but there's Duncan hidden in the line. There's Gemma, yeah, hidden there. That's how he sees us. This also helps me understand why there's a lot of Bible verses that talk about Jesus saved the world. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But you think, okay, so in a sense, Jesus died to save the world, but not all the world are saved. Actually, most of them aren't saved. You read about the world's redemption, that the blood of Jesus was the world's redemption. And you think, how could the world be redeemed when actually most of them are unsaved, don't want Jesus, just going to die in their sins. In what sense then did Jesus save the world? In this little parable, it's explained. He buys the field, he redeems the field, which is the world, because he knows that inside it, hidden, there is us. The whole thing 
was for us. And it's always too wonderful to believe that it was all for us little ones. This is Jesus talking before he died on the cross. And he, on the cross, bought the field. How was the field bought? With the precious blood of Jesus. So he's explaining why he's going to do it. And it's because he saw us, and we are his treasure. Now this idea of a man finding treasure hidden in a field. Well, Palestine, Israel, remember that this is a story being told to people, Jewish people in Palestine and Israel 2,000 years ago. There were loads of stories about hidden treasure. Because there, it was war after war, invader after invader, and so if you had a bit of gold or silver, you often hid it. Because the enemy's coming, so you hid it in a field. Well, you hid it somewhere. And what happens then if you died? Or if you got old and forgot where you'd hidden it? And there were loads of stories about working people, poor people, who found a treasure while they were digging. Loads of stories about it. And Jesus is giving us one of those stories. But the point is that the man who, who digs it and finds it is a poor man. You can tell that because he doesn't own the field. He's got to buy the field. He's just a day laborer. He's a digger. He, he's just digging. And to dig was the work of the very poorest. You might remember the parable of the unjust steward. That when he realizes he's bankrupt, he says, what shall I do? I can't dig, I'm too old, and to beg I am ashamed. In other words, to dig, that was, you had no land, you were unskilled day laborer, all you could do was dig for someone else. But this guy then, who is digging, in someone else's field, it's not his, wow, I found all this treasure. He's a poor man. That may not be immediately apparent to us, but to the people who heard the story to start with, he's a poor guy. He's a, he's a poor laborer. But who is this person? This person is the Lord. It's the Lord Jesus. Who, although he was rich, Paul says, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. So you see a kind of humility in God and a humility in Jesus that they put the story in this way. That I'm like a poor man, Jesus is saying, God is saying, who finds this treasure hidden in a field. Now don't tell anybody about it. And then I will buy that field. He doesn't tell anybody because if you tell your missus, she might cut and tell the other women down the well, oh, everybody knows there's treasure hidden in that field. Don't tell anybody. It's a very personal secret. I know that there's gold nuggets in the corner of that field. I'm not going to tell anyone, not even my missus, not even my kids, because it will get gossiped and I'm not going to get it. You see, that's how Jesus feels about us. We who are hidden, we who are the obscure, they're a treasure. And I am going to do, I'm not going to tell anyone, I'm just going to go and, and give everything I've got to buy that field to get them. 
And let's see how Jesus felt as he approached the crucifixion. He was extremely lonely. The disciples didn't get it. He kept telling them, I'm going to die on a cross. After three days I will rise again. And they didn't get it. They did not understand it. And he comes to die. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he's crucified. He prays. He says, guys, just watch with me. And they go full full asleep three times. He said, couldn't you even watch with me one hour? The loneliness of Jesus. Terrible. But I so respect him, and we're here to remember him, we're here to refocus upon him. I so respect him that he, single-mindedly, as it were, with no real human support, with nobody there supporting him, cheering him on, but instead his own men misunderstanding him. He had the, the, the absolute sense of deep personal commitment to go through with the whole thing for ourselves. And he says, a man found this treasure. So many times Jesus tells parables about finding. I'm the good shepherd who goes out to find my lost sheep and I found it. I am the woman who loses one of her ten coins. And when we talked about that, I said that a woman in Palestine owned nothing. She didn't even own her own body. She owned nothing at all, apart from the ten coins that her husband gave her when they got married. They're mine. She didn't own her clothes, didn't own her kids, didn't own nothing. And to lose one of them was to lose something very personal. It's mine. It's all I've got. It's mine. And I lost it. Oh, now I've found it. Oh, yay, I've found it. And Jesus says, that's how I feel about you. That you are my very own. And I lost you, but now i found you. He goes out, in the parable we looked at last week, he goes into the marketplace, searching for labourers, and he finds somebody to do some work for him. So, his finding is finding of people, his finding of us. The father who lost his son. Oh, and then the prodigal son comes home, and he says this, My son was lost, but now he is found. Again and again, who Jesus finds is us. But here in the story, he finds treasure that's hidden in a field. The field is the world. It all fits together absolutely beautifully. So, when he finds it, in his joy, he sold all that he had. He was so happy. Just like the woman rejoices when she finds her lost coin. The shepherd rejoices when he finds his lost sheep. In his joy, he gave all that he had and bought the field. The giving all that he had was in his death on the cross. And that's when he bought the world. The field is the world. And he did this in joy. And actually, the night before he died, he prayed... John 17, and he talks to God about my joy. He says, I want my joy to be in them. But what sort of joy did he have as he was facing the cross? It was not a sort of hee-hee-ha-ha, surface-level, happy-clappy sort of uh, joy. He redefined joy for us. 
people say, I don't think I've got much faith because um, I don't feel joy. Well, what do you mean by joy? If you mean like, you know, eternally wearing this very charming smile and this cheesy sort of smile about, I'm so blessed, I'm so happy. That's the very reason people stop going to church, because that's fake. I'm not saying people are fake who have cheesy smiles. God bless them. But his definition of joy is somewhat different. He, in his joy, gave everything that he had and bought that field. When he died on the cross, he died with joy. Um, but he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So people say, I'm depressed. Or I'm not a good Christian. No, no, no. Depression is part of life, it's part of being. People say, well, I actually suffer with depression, people tell me. So, well, does that make you different to the rest of us? Everybody does. But let's be real, let's be realistic. Everybody has their down moments, their down periods. That's how it is. That is how human brain chemistry is, <clears throat> is organised. And it's, it's how it was for the Lord Jesus when he died. He was, if you like, on a downer, depressed. But that's not a sin. Jesus never sinned. But quite clearly, he has the uh, characteristics of someone who is in depression. But that's okay. That's not a sin to be depressed. It doesn't mean you're a Christian failure if you don't have the cheesy smile. No. In his joy, he sold all that he had and bought that field. You see there, total focus. Total focus. When he died... And he was crucified naked. And I were trying to humiliate him to the maximum. Nothing. He had nothing left. His friends had left him. They gave up. They thought, oh, we trusted it was him who would have redeemed Israel. But mm, now he's dead. Uh, totally alone. But seeing that bigger picture, he sold all. He gave up all that he had for us. So we were not just one of God's projects. It's not one of Jesus' projects. It's not like when he had a project up on the planet Mars and a project in that uh, cosmos over there and another project over there. We are his special project. And in that sense, he was, he was totally focused on us. Again, verse 45, The kingdom of heaven is like to a man who is a merchant seeking fine pearls. Having found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now I've said before that all the parables of Jesus have something unusual. <clears throat> you read about a merchant who's wealthy, and immediately you think he's smart. He's smart. He's got money. He's buying pearls. Well, if you're really smart, you have what, some of your money in this pot, some in that pot, some in that pot. You might buy a vineyard and make money out of that, and then you have a, I don't know, you have a load of horses, and you make, or donkeys, you're making money out of that. And yes, you may flutter some money on pearls, but you split up your money, and he's trading, and he's a smart guy. But then he acts in a way that is apparently not smart at all. <clears throat> he sells all that he has, gives up all his resources, <laughs> to buy one, one pearl. And a lot of these parables beg questions. How did the story end? What did he do with his one pearl? 
a pearl doesn't earn you any money. It's not like he bought a, a flock of sheep and, oh yes, he was making money out of the wool and the lambs and all that. No. You put your entire wealth into one thing and it's a pearl. Now what can you, a pearl doesn't make any money. It doesn't give you anything. You just, what do you do with your pearl? How does the story finish? What does he do with his pearl when he sits and looks at it, right? He can't do anything with it. He puts it in his house and looks at it. He can't do anything with it. So, that's the unusual bit of the story, that the smart merchant falls in love with this one thing, this one pearl. He was looking for lots of pearls, but he found just one. Well, I'll sell everything. He sold all that he had. He didn't use his capital. I would expect to be reading here that he took a lot of money out of one of his bank accounts and bought it. But no, he sells everything that he has to buy the one pearl. Who is the pearl? It's the treasure. It's us. Who is this merchant? God. Jesus. Seeking fine pearls, again seeking and finding. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. He was looking for us. God is in search of man. And we may say, oh, but I was in search of God. Yes, correct. We were looking for him and he was looking for us. And there is this flash moment when we meet. That he found us. It's like the, uh, the lost coin, as I say. She's looking for the lost coin and she finds it. He's looking, the shepherd is looking for the lost sheep and finds it. Well, here again, Jesus searching for fine pearls and he finds it. And there's that mutuality in relationship, two-way relationship, that he was looking for us and he found us. We consciously or subconsciously were looking for him and we found him. And there we are locked together. So we talk about personal relationship with Jesus. Well, what does that look like? What is it? What it looks like? <laughs> that in any good relationship, there is a mutuality between the two. You imagine a young couple going out for a coffee together on a first date. Oh, yeah, you know, like, uh, when were you born? Oh, the 19th of May, 19, whatever it was. When were you born? The 19th of May? 19th Oh my God, birthday on the same day. Oh wow. Like that sort of, of God sort of thing, you know. And, um, oh yeah, my, can I say, yeah, my mum died when I was five years old. And the guy's like, my mum died when I was five years old. Oh wow. Yeah, this is all of God. This is a flash moment between the two of And on a much greater level, it's the same between God and man. That we are searching for him and we find him. But he was searching for us and he found us. As the Yiddish Jewish proverb says, going out to find him, I met him coming toward me. Going out to find him, I met him coming toward me. And this is that connection that lasts eternally. This is the relationship that ultimately matters. So, he is the merchant who's seeking fine pearls. He finds one of great price, sells all that he has and buys it. We read later on in the New Testament of the great price paid for our redemption. 
You are bought with a price, Paul says. You are bought with a price. Right. Who are you? You're the pearl. You are bought with a great price. Now, when you buy something that is expensive for you, even if it might not be wonderful, you're very fond of that. You're very fond of it. Because you saved your money and you bought this thing. It could be an item of clothing, it might be a ring, it could be a little thing. Other people might say, oh, that, that pen you bought, oh, you can get them down the charity shop for 50p. Alright, maybe you can. But I spent £200 on that pen. I mean, I, I don't personally spend money on pens, but you know what I'm saying. You spend a lot of money on something and it becomes very personal to you. That's, I saved for that, that's mine. That's really important to me. And you get it. We have been bought with a great price. We belong to God. We belong to Jesus. And this is what this world is so desperate for. I want to belong. I want to be valued by somebody. It does not matter whether you are rich, whether you are poor, whether you are young, old, whether you are pretty or otherwise, whether you are smart or whether you are stupid. It doesn't matter. We all have that desire. I want to belong. I want to be of value to somebody. I want to be valued. I want to be special. I don't care if it's only for one person and one person thinks I'm special. That's good enough for me. The rest of you think I'm a moron or whatever. You can think I'm a moron. But I've got, and maybe you're right, but I've got somebody who thinks I'm special. We are the treasure. We are the pearl and the God of the cosmos gave all that he had for us. And that's why God is so sensitive to us. How are they getting on? How are they? It's not that God is like multi-managing all sorts of different projects he's got and every now and again he takes a lid off planet Earth. How are they getting on down there? Oh, hang on. <laughs> those little two-legged things down there, those humans, they're, they're terrible. Okay, well, unusual story. Now, um, how about Cosmos number 98A? How are they going? How about that planet over there? How about the people who live on Saturn? Or the people who live on Venus? How are they going? Oh, have another look at planet Earth. No. The general picture of this is that the whole energy of God is conspected into us. Not even into this world. He bought the world, the field, because of us, in it, hidden in it. Us little mixed up little things. Just like the Lord Jesus, looking at the cross, says, I'm going to die, yeah, to redeem the world because of the treasure I found in it. Who did he find? Twelve disciples, one of them was no good, Judas. The rest of them were pretty mixed up sort of blokes, and a couple of prostitutes, and um, a couple of other folks here and there. That was it. Oh, yeah, okay. I found some treasure. I didn't even get it, you know, half the time. But that was his treasure. And you think, well, how could I have so much value? How could I be so important to him? You see, this is what man needs, and God has met our need. I want to be valued. I want to be appreciated. I want to be special to somebody who is not fake, who is genuine, who genuinely puts value into me. And this is the answer, the only answer. This is why people go down the path. 
because they, they want to have, yes, at least some group of people who accept me, so that if you go down the pub every night, and well, on Thursday night you're not there because you've got COVID, well, someone's, one of my mates down the pub's going to call me and say, how are you? We missed you down the pub. That's very important for people. People looking for relationships. Man, here, there, everywhere. Going on dating sites, going here, going there. Because I want somebody. Yeah, this is normal. This is normal. That we want to be valued by somebody. And I want to be special. And, oh, he bought me a ring. Oh, she uh, she bought me a ring. Oh, yes, you know, I'm special to somebody. That's what we want. It's the meaning of gifts. People like giving each other gifts. Because it makes you feel special. She bought me this, this ring. Simple. Um, well, we've got married. Um, but before we got married. Uh, and, and that's important to me. She bought this for me. And so it is. He has bought us with a huge price. This is what we have to remember in the bread and the juice. The price that was paid for our redemption. That we are bought. That we are taken. That we are valuable. That I am something. And you will not find this in any other form of meaning or, or, or any other human system. As I say, you may come down a pub just to find a little group of people who are going to be your quote mates in between the comments. You, you may join a professional club or the people who involved in your career. Um, you know, like here in this bar, there's the Xboxers come, don't they? First time you've every month. And the Xboxers have their get-together. They're all mates. And, you know, yes, it's important for people to have something that you belong to. And yes, the church is supposed to be that, even if it's dysfunctional. But beyond the church, there is the simple personal fact that I have been bought, that Jesus is real, that he is not a black box in my head that I call Jesus, that God is not a black box in my head that I call God. He is there, he's real, he's a personal being who has this personal involvement in me, that I am one of his pearls. End of the book of Revelation, the New Jerusalem, and its foundations were twelve pearls. And written on them are the names of the, the tribes of Israel, the, the, the apostles and so on. God's people. God's people are pearls. And he has found us. Well, this is the answer to man's search for meaning. I use that phrase, Victor Frankl. Have heard of Victor Frankl? It's a Holocaust survivor. And he tells a story that, you know, like, I'm a total survivor. That there was like, you know, 50 of us lined up to be shot. 49 were, were shot, I fell into the pit first, and I had the dead bodies on top of me, but they climbed out and I survived. And then we were in this camp, uh, labor camp, and, and they said, right, you know, we want so many of you to come here and do this dirty work, then we're gonna shoot you. And, well, I wasn't chosen, and then this and that <clears throat> and the other. <clears throat> and the guy says, look, the fact that I survived is statistically just fluky. What does he do after the war? Fell into deep depression and wrote books called Night, like Black and so. That's how he felt. And then another book, Man's Search for Meaning. Like, yeah, I survived, but what for? What for? What was the point of all that? 
there's a God there, what will you do this for? I'm just, yeah. And this is it. Yes, we say Jesus is the answer. That's so profoundly true. What is our purpose in this world? What is our path? Why? These are the big questions. Why? And I want to be valued by I want to be special. I want to be at least one person, please, think that I'm special. At least one person, please, understand me. At least one person, love me. At least one person, give me nice presents and, uh, and, and little things, big things that show that you think I'm special. Uh, but I didn't find it. My ex wasn't like that. Oh, well, my partner's. Yeah, but uh, no, no, no. You know, you know how it is. People are disillusioned. People are disappointed. Because they've got all these needs, but they are not met. Well, yeah, I've got my mates down the pub, but when I was sick with COVID, you know what? Not one person even bothered phoning me to find out how I was. And here is the answer. That we are his pearl. We are his treasure. And how do I become that? Let's say yes. Say yes to him. He said, could you be mine? Believe and be baptised into Jesus. Say yes to him and you are his. And he has sold all that he has to have us. That we are not one of a zillion projects. The God who has no beginning and who has no end only ever had one only begotten son. And that was Jesus. And you read Hebrews 1, and Paul says, yeah, he was not an angel because he didn't come to save angels. He was human because he came to save humans. So we are that special, special creation that he wants. And, you know, you, you look at the size of the cosmos. You don't stand at night and look off your balcony and you think, why is it all so big? And why, as far as we know, most of those planets got nothing on them? Why doesn't God live one kilometre above the sky and on a flat earth? And, you know, you just have a bit of communication up and down with this God who's just a kilometre up in the sky. Why the sheer scale of the thing? Well, one reason is to just show us how great is his special love for me. It's like he bought the whole field. Not because he particularly needed the field, but because of the treasure that was hidden in one little corner. It's like you ask the question, why have so many people lived on this planet and never known Jesus? Why have millions, billions of people lived before the time of Jesus and never knew Jesus? Why? Well, I don't know exactly know why, but part of it is to give scope. But all that happened, all that huge expenditure of God's power, energy, effort, so that out of all that there comes this minority. That's you and me. And as the Lord said, many are called, but few are chosen. The, the field is bought, but it's a bit of gold hidden in one corner that a poor man found. Just one pearl does it. The rich man sells all that he's got for the one pearl. So I've been saying that this merchant and this digger in the field 
this person is uh, Jesus, this person is God, who is looking for us. Okay? But it does cut the other way. That, that's how he feels to me. But without question, it also talks about me. That I also should, as it were, give up all that I've got for him. He is my pearl of great price. He is the treasure that is hidden in the field that most people don't even get or see. So, love by its nature is sort of elicits from the beloved love in return. You know, it is the boomerang effect. That all his love poured out for me elicits that love back. That for him, he gave everything that he had to buy me. And I can't just shrug and say, oh, cool. That's cool. No. If you get it, no. The response to that is, I want to give everything back to him. I want to sell everything, as it were, in response to him. And to get him and take him as my own. The pearl of great price. And I'll say, the storyline is that, well, what does he do with it? doesn't produce anything, we can't produce anything in that sense for God but we are his special treasure we are his joy his priceless joy and you know words kind of fail me really to get it over in so many words but that's the power of the parable and we're talking about ultimate reality so that we can walk out of the pub and walk down the street as it were knowing but actually I am special. Not that I'm very smart or beautiful or whatever, but I've got somebody. 24-7, who's the very best, who's definitely not fake, is for real. And this is the basic, wonderful truth, that man is not alone. You are not alone, I am not alone. We have this somebody, who is more than, you know, just a mate, but is the Son of God, the King of the Cosmos in heaven. So let's try and thank God for him. I'm going to take the bread as a symbol of his body and the cup as a symbol of his blood. Would anyone like to give thanks for the, uh, the bread? Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the joy and the pleasure coming together. As we take the bread and the wine in, we remember you are the bread. And the one is your blood. We do remember it and we give you thanks for it. We have a relationship with you that you are absolutely willing to each and every one of us. We give you thanks. Jesus. Amen. So, Julian's going to give thanks for the uh, cup. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity, Father. We are together, brother and sister, and we are celebrating today the, the day when we be in the cross to remember until you come in Mark's good deeds, until you come, Father, which the bread represents your body and the wine represents your you, you blood, Father. Thank you for this opportunity to be Christian. And how the brother said as well, for we go to another who don't know you, who don't know the Holy Spirit, they know you and live his life. Thank you for everything in the name of Son Jesus. Amen. This is the symbol of his life.
Well, thank you, everybody. Let's um, let's give thanks for the uh, for the food, which by faith we believe is going to appear. I don't see any sign of it, but um, let's give thanks for the food. I don't know, uh, Kevin, Kevin, would you like to give thanks for the food? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for today, the fellowship, the teaching, the word, and Lord, we thank you. As we've had the spiritual food, we're now going to have some natural food. Bless the food right now as we prepare. And bless each and every one of us as we fellowship in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.